If you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read uh, verses uh, 12 through the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 4. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From the time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and diseases among the people. When his fame went throughout all Syria, they brought to him all the sick who were afflicted in various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. May the Lord add blessing to His Word. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the privilege of being an ambassador for Christ. As we all are who have You in this room. I thank you for the privilege of being able to share your word with my brothers and sisters. I realize that I am only just dust and that I'm not going to live a whole lot longer in this world. Really, from the day I was born till the day I die, it would be such a short, short period. Lord, we as a church have such little time to spend on anything but your gospel, but you. And I pray that we would take the, the exhortation, the commands of Jesus today to leave everything behind and follow you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we saw in that in the wilderness Jesus was tempted and how the Holy Spirit actually led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one. And the evil one came to him subtly 
with three temptations. The only three he ever uses and the only three he needs <laughs> because of the tripartite nature in us to uh, sin in one of these three ways. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. By the way, Stephanie, were you here when the pastor from Nob Noster was up here on the screen? Oh, I wish you could have seen that. That's where you're from, right? Nob Noster. When she first told me that, I thought she was kidding. I didn't think there was a place called Knob Noster. Anyway, sorry. Uh, I just thought that was really an inch. <laughs> yeah, I know. Each temptation Jesus met with a scripture. He met the first one with man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that goes forth from God. He met the second one with God must not be tested. And he met the third one with Worship and serve your God alone, all of which were scriptures out of Deuteronomy. Then the angels came and supernaturally ministered to him in every way he had need, physically as well as attending to any other needs he had. So now today in today's passage, Jesus starts his ministry. And he heard John was imprisoned. So he departed for Galilee. Back where he was raised, settled in Capernaum by the sea and in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Remember in the first chapter of Matthew, we looked at the idea of Nazareth, and which was in the same territory. And remember we said that Solomon had given this area of the land to Hiram, king of Tyre. When Hiram saw it, he said, this isn't a very nice place. <laughs> and so... He named it Kabul, which means useless or worthless. People in that region weren't very highly thought of by other people in, in, in Israel. And yet, Isaiah prophesied that these people who are downtrodden, people who are poor and helpless, would see the Messiah. That's why Matthew quotes Isaiah, and I'm going to actually quote right from Isaiah, but he repeated it. He says, Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. When at first he's lightly esteemed the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of the death, upon them light has shined. The light they got to see was the Son of God. Living among them, moving among them, preaching to them, giving them hope. And I'll discuss these people later. He speaks to the message here. He proclaimed, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the same message John the Baptist preached for which he got basically imprisoned. And so we see the same message coming from the Son of God. Repent. I heard, um, this is in my notes, so I heard John Piper one time was on a panel of people and they were discussing why bad things happen to people, sometimes good people. 
And John Piper made a really interesting, I think a profound statement. When somebody asked him, during Hurricane Sandy or when during Hurricane Katrina and during this thing in, 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 in you know, Ecuador when there was such a, a terrible earthquake and many people were killed and there was just one in Mexico not long ago, people asked him, what's God's message? Where is God? And John the Piper said, God has one message when things like this happen. People blame him for these things, but his message is simple. Repent. Repent. And I think it's interesting that we like to try to give the gospel to people without that word. Ask Jesus in your heart and you'll have a wonderful life. Yay! Come to church. Get baptized. Walk the aisle. Jesus says, repent. You see, you can't have sin and salvation at the same time. Salvation is salvation from sin. From its domination, from its punishment, from its very influence. And so if we go out with a gospel that doesn't include the word repent, then people are not going to turn from their sins. They're going to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I can live any way I want to. And it's my life, so leave me alone. Jesus said, repent. Then he goes along and he's by the sea there. He's walking along. There's two brothers in there, two of them are casting their nets in the sea. The other two are mending their nets. And Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he and he sees these two brothers. And it's well that we understand that he calls them to be fishers of men. It's as though he's saying, "Follow me, and I'll turn your secular occupation into a divine occupation." And that's exactly what he did, didn't he? In verses 21 and 22, we see him calling James and John. But notice something in verse 20 through, and again in 22, the words immediately. <laughs> Why would they just get up and walk away from their nets and their jobs and follow him? Well, I want you to understand something. The Bible is not necessarily written in chronological order. This was not their first encounter with Jesus. We're told that in John, John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. It says, one of those people who heard John speak, John the Baptist speak, followed him and then was, followed Jesus, in other words, and was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found his brother first and said to him, we have found the Messiah, translated Christ, and brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah, you shall be called Cephas, which translated a small stone or pebble. You see, they had met him, and they had heard him before this calling. But now this is a calling not to him or to salvation. This is a calling to discipleship. This is a calling to be a follower 
A disciple is somebody who becomes like the person they learn from. Did you know that? That's what a disciple is. They're calling him disciples. He's calling them discipleship. He's calling them ministry. Did you know that, folks, that he's called you the same way? Every one of you who have Christ. He's calling you to preach the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, how long have we been preaching that? For 2,000 years. It's still at hand. <laughs> he could come any point in time. And there's, it's too late after that. First discipleship, learning to know and follow him, to reckon and count on being his alone. And then into ministry. And turning your life into a divine calling. And what is that calling? Verse 23, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What is the gospel of the kingdom? Sometimes people come, children come and want baptism. I ask them, tell me what the gospel is. If they can't do it, we're not going to baptize them. Do you have a scripture that tells you you know we're saved? If they don't have one, we don't baptize them. Why? Because your faith has to be based so firmly on the Word of God that if it isn't, if it's based on something else, then you're lost. The gospel of the kingdom is this. The king has arrived. (laughs) The king has arrived. He's conquered sin and death. And when you bow to him as king, you're transferred from the domain of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, into the kingdom of his son, into the light, permanently. That's the good news. Don't have to work about, worry about losing this stuff. And if that's where you really are understanding what the kingdom is, and Jesus calls you as he has called us all, your response will not be, let me think about this a minute. Uh, No. What was their response? Immediate. Immediate. Someone told me one time, if obedience isn't immediate, then it's not really obedience. (laughs) But if you look at this, look at who this ministry draws them into. Who comes to him? Sick people, afflicted with various diseases, tormented, epileptics, paralytics, even demon-possessed. Great multitudes from all over the place came to him. And where do they come to? To a hillside or a mountain or the temple or in the desert. Wherever he was is where they met. Because they were following him. I want us to stop for a minute and look at something in the Old Testament that gives us a picture of what it was for the kind of people that came to Jesus. And it's in Isaiah 22, 1 and 2. And I would like you to turn there even though it's in my notes. Isaiah 22, 1 and 2. I want you to listen to something here. David, who name means... The beloved is being chased by Saul and things aren't really very good for him right now at this point. 
And it says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And his brothers and his father's house heard it when they went down to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontent gathered to him. So he became captain over them there. And there were about 400 men with him. David was an outcast. David was someone that Saul wanted to kill. He had to run from him, even though he had already been anointed as king by Samuel. He runs to a cave. The cave of Adullam. And he's dwelling there. Then his brothers come down to him. But look who else came. Look who came for refuge to David. Those in distress. Those in debt. Those who were discontent. And he became the captain over them all. Let's think about these people for a minute. These are the people who are smelly and dirty. These are the people who don't have good language. In other words, you might not like the way they talk. They have been shunned by the so-called sophisticated society. They're in distress. This is a Hebrew word, Matzok, and it means in a narrow confinement place or disability causing anguish and distress in their lives. It's what my wife calls pressure cooked. She said that person's really been pressure cooked talking about somebody that's gone through some really tough stuff. Jesus gives these people rest and makes them feel accepted and loved. He can do that if you're willing to be his ambassadors. You see, the next group were those in debt. This may or may not mean financial debt, but think about how we were in debt to God. Think about it. Where God laid all our sins on Jesus, but we were in debt. We had a mountain of sin piled up before God. And don't you even think for a minute that just because you're saved and you still are, that you're free from ever having to face punishment, that God doesn't still hate your sin. He doesn't hate you. You're a chosen loved one of Him. But sin is still sin to God. We've got our debt paid. This is why the Apostle Paul calls people in the church to unity and to to, to separation from the world and to bonding together for the gospel. And then he says, don't you forget. And then he gives a long list of people who are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Adulterers, fornicators, liars, the list goes on. Even mentions homosexuals. He says, I tell you before, you can't say you're his child and live like that and believe that you have a hope of eternal life. But there's always repentance. (laughs) There's always the opportunity to get forgiveness because he's a forgiving God. He... Paid our debt. Think about that. 
What did it cost him? On the cross of Calvary, after suffering untold agony, poured out on him from God, not man. What man did to him is nominal compared to what God did. Punished him as if he were you, if if he were me. And that he had committed the sins I've committed. And then he cried out in, in English, we say it is finished, but in the Greek it's teleo. And it just simply means paid in full. Whew. I feel good about that. <laughs> I rest in that. Every time I sin, I come back to the cross and I realize even this sin I deliberately just committed has already been paid for. Aren't you glad? Are you? He paid a debt he did not owe. Because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. This is why those in debt seek him. Sometimes those in debt seek us. Did you know that? Sometimes it's financial. It may be financial, and we test this out to see if we really as a church can help them or if they're just scamming us. We have to watch for that. But usually it's those who have no way to pay it back that we really should be ministering to. Our gospel releases those mainly who are indebted to God. And we have a message that because of their sin, they have this debt. Now, the last group that comes along here to David at the cave of Adullam is the discontent. Those who are distressed, those who are in debt, now the discontent. These are people who have tried everything the world has to offer, and they're still empty. They've tried to fill their lives with anything and everything. Drugs, sex, alcohol, entertainment, athletics. And they've become disillusioned and they're not satisfied. Coming to Jesus is the only place where there's any content. We are washed of our sins. We're allowed to sit quietly at His feet. We're completely satisfied with Jesus. We want no more after we come to Him and we need no more. Listen to what it says in Matthew 5. Six, John four thirteen and 14 as well. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus answered and said to the woman, Whoever drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. Jesus likens thirsting here as one who cannot be satisfied. He satisfies the hunger and the thirst that we have of a discontented heart. And no one else can. In our story about this cave of Adublam, what did David become over these people? He became their captain. And God wants to make wants you to make Jesus your captain. It's interesting to me in Hebrews it brought this to mind as I was studying Hebrews two nine through eleven. It says we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, 
crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. It was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all from one Father, in which reason he is not ashamed to call them brother. Brethren. The captain is Jesus. Is your captain. Now, I mean that seriously. You may say, I'm saved, but saved, but, you know, God lifted me up out of the cornfield in Iowa 20 years ago. Well, big deal. What are you doing now? What's he doing in your life now? What kind of a relationship do you have with him now? Will you follow him anywhere, even to a cave? Would you follow him into a cave to worship as a body? Would you follow him to become a fisher of men? Would you follow him even to the point of torment, persecution, or death for his sake? Jesus was cast out of the temple. But he still had worship services, didn't he? Hebrews 11:38 it talks about the people that followed him of whom the world was not worthy they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth You see he isn't just worshiped in temples and cathedrals and beautiful church buildings He's worshipped by the humble method of sitting down at his feet, taking the bread and wine, remembering him with expectation that he's going to return soon. If you're here today without him, you're eventually going to be distressed or in debt or discontent. And that's, let me just tell you something. There is no more awful place of discontent and distress than hell. Why not come to Him and enjoy the benefits of being His child? Bow at His cross. Repent. Do you know what the word repent means? I've heard preachers say, well, I'm walking this way and I repent and I walk this way. Well, Only in a sense is that true. The word repent is the Greek word metanoia. Now, who's heard of metamorphosis? You ever heard of that? What does it mean? It means to morph or change from one form to another, like a butterfly or a caterpillar to a butterfly. Meta means change. Noia noia is, is mind. That's where that word comes from. Change your mind. How's that happen? Well, you see, we think so incorrectly about God as unbelievers, in many cases believers, that we need to change our mind. Now, we change our mind. I've had people say, it's okay for me to commit adultery. I had this lady that worked for me, and she never did get saved, and my wife and I witnessed her constantly. And she actually had me do her funeral. 
But I took a missionary to visit with her one time, and, and she told the missionary, well, there's nothing wrong with adultery. There's nothing wrong with having sex outside the marriage. That lady needs to change her mind and see it the way God sees it. What does God say about it? It's wrong. I hate it. Well, I only told a little white lie. Huh. How white is it to God? You see, we, there's a, a church that I, and it's a good church basically, but they don't talk about sin. Instead of saying, I mean, they say, well, you have issues that only Jesus can correct. I've never read in the Bible that Christ died for our issues. Have you? Oh, well, that person's sinning because they have issues. No, they have a bad relationship with God or have none. And they need to change their mind about and see things as God sees them. You know, repentance is not walking around living stodgily all the time and, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm such a good little Baptist. I'm such a good little Christian. Repentance actually sets you free because you become a new creature who is not under a law anymore. You're under the law of Christ, which is love. People say, well, you know, um, when Jesus talked to Pharisees, he was harsh. He was unloving, calling them a brood of vipers and, a, and wash, whitewashed tombs. Well, the thing is, is that he can look in your heart and see what you really are. But to those who repent, he's a gentle shepherd. So here's the thing. You never have to worry about being rejected by Jesus Christ. He came here to die for you because it's his idea and the Father's idea. And it comes out of a heart that looks at even the worst, awful, wicked sinner in the world and says, I love you. Here's my son. He died for you, and his death, I'm accounting his death, and I'll never take your sin into account ever. Tell me that's not good news. Tell me that having a relationship with a holy God where you can walk right up to his throne under the blood of Jesus and ask for anything, that sounds freedom to me. That sounds like real life to me. What does it sound like to you? Well, I hope it sounds good enough that if you're here today and you haven't really turned your life over to Jesus, and when he says, come, follow me, I'll make you carpenters for men, engineers of men. I'll make you miners for men, accountants for men, businessmen for, men, for, for, for God. And we say, mm, I don't know. What do I have to give up? Fish? <laughs> you give up fish? You give up nets? Listen, these guys were mending their nets. 
But they couldn't mend their lives. And Jesus came and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Isn't that exciting? Oh, but here's the thing. You know, we'll follow him so far. Like my wife used to say when I was asked by Missouri Baptist to be a transitional pastor and go to different churches all over the state. And we went to quite a few, just a few actually. And she said, well, honey, I will follow you all the way to the end of the county line. (laughs) Now she's two whole county lines away from that. But that's her way of being cute. She really meant wherever God leads. Will you follow God like that? My wife doesn't know for sure what God's will for our lives is. She depends on him to tell me. She has a lot of input into it. She has a lot of advice. And frankly, most times she's right. I let her read my sermons and she'd say things like, you're not going to say that, are you? (laughs) Or you're not going to say that that way, are you? So I guess not, since you've read it. Brethren, we're going to share now in the Lord's Supper. This is an opportunity to do what we sang a while ago. Remember me. But when you take this cup and this bread, remember this. It represents Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's not that little piece of bread. It's not his actual body. It's a symbol of his body. That when you take it, you're doing what he told you to do, and you're saying, Lord, I'll follow you immediately. Wow. We're going to do what Jesus did and pass out the bread and the cup, and after, after everyone has received it, we'll share it together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to share, to remember, to perform this small little act of a ceremonial remembrance service to keep you in front of us all the time. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.